You're listening to The Jill Monaco Show, episode number 19. Welcome to The Jill Monaco Show. I'm your host, Jill. Each week, I hope to bring you a message that inspires, encourages, or challenges you to go after and live a life you love. Join me and my friends as we explore what it means to love God, love ourselves, and love others. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Here we go. back to the Jill Monaco show. We've been doing a series on singleness and this is the last in the series with finally get this a dude. <laughs> I have just more women friends I guess but Nate Stevens our guest today is one of my very best guy friends. We met a few years ago through a friend and he's been writing for the magazine that I publish Single Matters ever since. So Have you ever wondered if God had a plan for picking a mate or a set of guidelines to choose well? Or what makes the best couples compatible for life? These are some of the questions that I'm going to be talking to Nate about today. Now, I knew Nate when he was single, so we've had a ton of conversations about singleness, about the struggles, the state of singleness in the church today, and the hope for marriage. Nate met his beautiful wife, Karen, and yet he still leads a singles ministry in the Charlotte area, uh, and the group is called Fusion. He really has a passion to help singles prepare for marriage and choose well. Nate was a missionary kid who grew up in a Christian home and church, but he's also enjoyed a 36-year banking career in a variety of different leadership roles. He's also a speaker and author of the book Matched for Life and upcoming Deck Time in the Storm, as well as a contributing author on several online devotionals. Well, on the podcast today, you'll learn why Nate has a passion for teaching compatibility from his own struggles and failures. He'll share the four relational aspects of life and why the order of finding these four things out are important to determine compatibility. So you don't want to miss the wisdom that comes from my friend, Nate. So let's get to the conversation. Hey, Nate, thanks for being on my podcast. Hello. It's an honor. It's my pleasure. (laughs) We've had so many phone conversations that I think if we would have recorded them, um, they well, they may not have been well uh, suited for podcasting, but we've talked about so many things, and I'm looking forward to just focusing on the thing that you're so good at and talking to singles about the four aspects of relationship. Certainly. If they recorded all of our conversations, they uh, would have either of the... uh, information for a sitcom or (laughs) it would be very very edifying there's there's a lot of good stuff we've talked about over the years well we've definitely laughed a lot so i know that we're going to be talking a little bit serious today but um i think some of my favorite memories with you and going to that singles conference and and speaking with you at that event um in north carolina and just even on the phone is just laughing at the ridiculousness of some of the things that we do as singles um and just the circumstances surrounding a single life can really make us succumb, like you said. But it's, it's fun. It's life. I mean, the, the, I, I don't want to single out singles. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's just a microcosm of life. What's funny is, is teenagers have similar struggles. Married couples have similar struggles. So it's it, it, we've just focused our ministry there. But, you know, life happens to everybody, and it's, 
it's good when we can laugh, but it's also good that we can go and find answers for uh, the questions that we have. So yeah. it's all good. Well, you're really good at finding humor, and you make me laugh, so I'm so glad you're my friend. Yes. <laughs> if not, I'd laugh at you instead of with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Of course you would. <laughs> Um, well, no, I know you're kidding. It's all good. Um, well, all right. So I want everyone, um, I really want to jump in and I want the listeners to understand uh, a little bit about you and your history. And there's, you know, there's so many things we could talk about, but I think what really stands out to me about your past is that what you preach now has been learned from mistakes you made in the past. Would you, um, Share what you feel comfortable with. I'm a missionary's kid, so when you're raised in the church and you're raised uh, in a godly home and you go to Bible school, Christian high school, Bible school, you know, you have all the, the knowledge and, you know, you're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to live that sinless perfection, you know, life. Uh, and you get the, if you play by all the rules, you know, that you're given, you know, God's going to bless you. So, you know, what they say most of my upbringing was, you know, stay pure until you're married. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't fool around. Find a Christian girl because you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. And, you know, if you find a Christian and you don't have sex before marriage, God's going to bless you and it's going to be amazing. Mm. You start bending some rules, some moral rules and joking and flirting, and one thing led to another. And pretty soon that need for connectedness and that need for companionship led to uh, affairs outside of, of the marriage. And um, that's I'm not proud of it. I do not boast of it. I normally don't even like talking about it because I think instead of talking about the mistakes as you talk about the redemption and the forgiveness, once you come out of the prodigal pig pen to where God will get your attention when he comes to you at the point of ultimate brokenness and when he cleans you up and says, okay, now are you ready to listen to me? I've got something special for you. So from from a history standpoint, that's kind of uh, where it started was from my, uh, first of all, failed marriage to find out why and, and then why, you know, what, what led to the mistakes and what led to some serious poor choices in life and, and backslidden state spiritually and being away from the Heavenly Father. And mm-hmm. it's just not a good place to be. I mean, I don't know if you've been in the pig pen of life, but... Yes. Even though you're there and you're kicking up and you know thinking you're having a grand time, I think, and this I, I believe there's scriptural support for it. I think that if you're truly born again, if you truly have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, if you land in a pig pen, you may think you're having fun, but deep down inside, I think you know that you're not, and there's something inside of you that cries out saying, "I want to go home. I want to go back to my father," and just. There's just something about that 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 speaks to or confirms the the, the, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So that that was my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that part of your story, because I think there are so many singles who have been, you know, cheated on, who are happy to speak up. But for those that have been in your shoes where you were the one who strayed and had an affair, and like you said, you don't like to talk about it, I think the church brings a lot of questions about uh, whether you should be married again and um, all those sorts of things that can be really troubling. Um, And it's hard to be vulnerable about that kind of thing in your own failure. So um, 
I want you to just highlight real quickly, the, there are four aspects that you uh, list in your book for a good relationship. What are those? You love God spiritually. That's the heart. You love God intellectually. That's the mind. You love God emotionally. That's the soul. And you love God physically. That's the, 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 the strength. So you have all four of those aspects that are there in that verse. And so when you then take that and apply that to relationships, you're like, okay, so before I go even looking for somebody, who am I spiritually? Who am I intellectually? Who am I emotionally? Who am I physically? Meaning, until you find out who you are, how do you know what you need? And right. I think too many times people try to, they, they feel that need, they feel that, that burning desire inside, but before they identify it, they go out and try to force fit you know, a puzzle piece that doesn't fit in their life, and they, they force it, and they get somebody in their life, but it really isn't satisfying because they haven't really addressed the true need. If you don't know where you stand with the Lord, how do you know you are compatible with someone else spiritually? It, exactly. Well, the spiritual, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, the spiritual is like the moral framework of everything that you do. So if, you're, if your moral compass is off, intellectually you're going to make bad choices. Uh, emotionally, you're going to feel things that maybe you shouldn't feel, or you should learn how to control them. And then physically, maybe you'll pick up habits, or you'll go and experiment, or you'll do something. So the spiritual is like the, the, the true north. So if that's off a little bit, then the other parts of your life are going to kind of be out of sync as well. And that's why you start there, not just for a relationship, but first of all, your relationship with Christ, starting point. And then as you mature in the faith and as you mature spiritually, you find out things about yourself like, why did God create me? Where do I fit in? What is my spiritual gift? How can I help equip his kingdom? That's more important than finding a spouse. I want to talk about the physical one last, but often that's what we go with first. And then we try and make the other three fit because we're physically attracted. And we're like that. Or we settle. Or would you explain that, or we settle? We, we settle as well. With the, the way the world is right now, you know, sex sells. They, start, they lead off with the physical. Right. And what Scripture does is it leads off with the spiritual. It says, be not unequally yoked. So that's like the starting point. But mm-hmm. Satan, as a master counterfeiter, as the father of all lies, he wants to flip everything around. So he would play baseball by you get a hit and you go to third. You know, he wants to start everything backwards. So just like the world, sex sells. And, you know, from perfume to to clothing to cars, I mean, put a a handsome hunk on there or a little uh, uh, yoga pants, hottie person that's sitting there, and it sells. Why? Because it appeals to our flesh, the physical. And so if Satan knows that if he can get you where you are totally eyeballing the physical and focused on the physical and meeting your physical needs, then the rest of them are going to be out. It's the same thing. They're going to be out of whack. That's the beauty about the four aspects is they all are interdependent. You can't separate one from the other. They all pull information from the other. And so, therefore, if you're leading with the physical, well, the spiritual obviously is going to suffer because the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit will be convicting you, saying, hey, Come on, you know better than this. Read right. my word. I'm there. Emotions, right. you're going to have. Uh, 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 you're going to have depression. There's lots of studies that show that if you, uh, you know, have, the, you know, the friends with benefits, and you try to separate the physical from the others, one, it doesn't happen medically. It, it's impossible. 
you're going to have guilt intellectually. You're going to have emptiness emotionally. So, but if Satan can get you to where you're focused physically, now you're distracted from the other three, or mm-hmm. you start settling. For example, okay, well, I had a, a person that worked for me that said, you know, I know my partner doesn't respect me, but the sex is really good. And I'm like, so you're settling. You're right. settling for disrespect because of the sex. So, right. yeah, that's how the physical can get you. If you're focused on that, it's kind of like Peter. When you focus on the waves, you get your eyes off Christ. But the other thing with the physical is that it's not, I'm going to use a double negative, it's not not important. And it's still in the list. It's just not oh, yes. first, second, yes. or third. So physical attraction is, you know, the maybe the church doesn't talk about it as much, but Man, it's important, and it's an element. God made us to be visual, to have passion and desires and attraction and and preferences. He made all of that, and I think he really enjoys creating each one of us um, to be beautiful and in his image, um, but it just isn't meant to be the driver of the car. Um, so, uh, well, right, right. Well, to, to support that, you look at Scripture, and, and nowhere in Scripture does God ever ask anybody to be apathetic or average or whatever. If anything, it's like, fear not, be bold, be courageous, stand up, stand before the Lord, stand before the mountain, like he told uh, Elijah. Um, Whatsoever you do, do it with all your heart. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. God is a passionate God, and he wants us to grab life and pursue him passionately in all four aspects. So yes, the physical is important. It's okay to have passionate desires, but you got to play God's game by his rules. I mean, he created relationships. He created intimacy. Uh, you might want to check in with the person who created it to learn how to get the most fulfillment out of it. And again, mm-hmm. Satan comes in as the deceiver and says, well, you know, they're just trying to keep you from fun. I've heard several young people say that and say that's why parents and teachers and pastors always say don't have sex before marriage because they're trying to keep you for fun. No, we're trying to help you have the most fun. Right. Because if you do it God's way, it can be very passionate. And yeah, I agree with you. There's lots of stuff in, in the Bible about uh, God's passion and the, and the fact, well, he was passionate. Yeah. You know, well, look, passionate. Song of Solomon, aren't we so glad that Song of Solomon's in the Bible? Aren't we glad for that? Exactly, exactly. And then, hey, Adam's first expression was, whoa, man, when <laughs> Eve walked up. <laughs> right. right. But it is cool. It says the first, that's the first, they didn't have a Bible study, they didn't have a little, you know, let's do an emotional test or love language test. <laughs> it was the physical appeal that he saw her and it was like, yes, it's, I love the fact that it's, you said something earlier. You said you, you, it's still an important part. Yes, you still have to be attracted to the person. I, I refer people to the verse, I think it is in Psalm 34, where it says, um, you know, God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, it, 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 he wouldn't give us something that we don't have. So it's okay to have desires of our heart. Now, they have to be aligned with him. But yes, we can mm-hmm. have desires of our heart. Yes, we can be attracted. Yes, we can mm-hmm. find people beautiful. But like you said, it can't be the driver. Right. And, you know, I the, the listeners won't really get this um, because they haven't seen you and your wife, Karen, who you've been married how long now? You and Karen have married two years? It is 
two years and three months that two, we have yeah. been married. Yeah. A little over two years. Um, but I love visiting you guys and, and seeing how affectionate you are. And I know there's more chemistry there. Um, and it, seeing that gives me hope. You know, I think it should make us go, yeah, that's what God made. And um, and it's beautiful. And uh, I don't want to get into TMI, but you guys crack me up. Um, <laughs> so. God has indeed blessed me. And what's funny is, is when we work through, and again, this maybe is a, a shameless plug for the book, but we, <laughs> she read it. We knew each other for two years before we, we uh, started dating. And uh, she read, we, we have a singles uh, ministry here in Charlotte that she was a part of. She was on the extended leadership team. So I, I tell people we got to know each other without the fog of dating. Right. So you just right. see, you know, in dating, you always put on your best mask and your best, you know, clothes and the best cologne and you shave, you know, all, you know, everything is just perfect. But if you get to know somebody without all that facade, you really get to see them and to get to know the person. And, and we had done a couple of the, the, the work studies on the book because there's also a workbook, a 10-week study on it. But we had done that as a group uh, several times, and then we also went through it ourselves, just answering the questions, and we got to know each other so well, and we were compatible in all four of the aspects that I was answering her questions for her, and she was answering mine. <laughs> and if the, if God has just blessed me beyond anything I could ever ask or, or think in, mm-hmm. in giving me somebody that is, is so... I don't know. She she has that that nth factor again. Yeah, it's she's got there. the she's got the fifth aspect that you can't really put words to. Uh-huh. Yeah, and when you have that, then God just now it's not that we are totally you know swooning and walking around. You know, we have disagreements, but you can still be civil, and you still it's like we disagree with with Christ. If you go back to Christ and the Church, uh, He sometimes disciplines us, and we sometimes disobey Him, and so there. There are going to be times where maybe the fellowship suffers a little bit, but the relationship is still solid, and mm-hmm. and that's the whole point is you iron sharpens iron, and, and she sharpens me, I sharpen her, and it's just, it's, yeah, awesome. we won't get into TMI. Yeah, we won't get into TMI. You guys are so cute. <laughs> I know way more than a podcast needs to know. Um <laughs> So, uh, the second aspect, the intellectual. So, tell us um, what you've learned about the intellectual aspect and how singles can identify that when they're, like you, spending time in a group or dating. See, the intellectual aspect is, uh, that's, oh my gosh, there's so much more about that probably than, than the spiritual aspect of the Bible. There are so many verses about the mind. Uh, it says, um, I'm taking every thought captive and making obedience to the captivity of Christ. Um, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Come, let us reason together. There's so many things about the mind, whatsoever things are true, pure, lovely, of good report. Think on these things. There's a whole breadth of, if you just searched and said, give me the verses that deal with the mind. You know, Romans, I think it is 6, 7, and 8, talks about being spiritually minded is life and carnally minded is death. And it talks about spiritual warfare begins in the mind. And that's why you, you protect your mind. You have to bring those thoughts into captivity. It's like if you get a picture of Christ on the cross and you have a thought or a fantasy or something at the very beginning of it, the beginning stages, you've got to lassie that thing down, you've got to tie it up, and you've got to put it at the bottom of the cro- a cross of Christ and say, 
sit there until he says it's okay for you to get up. You pick. You just have to picture yourself when you're looking at stuff on the computer. Uh, there's a verse that, that, that King David did after he fell. He said, I will. I purpose in my heart not to look at anything vile, not to set anything before my eyes that, that is not acceptable. Hmm. It, you purposefully have to control the way you think, and you do that by putting on the mind of Christ, that this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus. So there's a whole study of the intellectual aspect, and the, and the intellectual, if the spiritual is the, the moral framework, well, the intellectual is the decisioning. That's how you you think, you reason, you you, you deduce, you know, the if and then, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of if and then scenarios in the Bible. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you don't, I will discipline you. The if and then, if you touch a hot stove, you're going to get burned. If you have sex before marriage, well, there's a whole plethora of things that, you know, consequences. Even if it's just not having God's favor, it's still there's consequences to disobedience. So, but the mind is just, oh my gosh. It, it, it's where a lot of people think that's where fear comes from. You start doubting yourself. Uh, the, the, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, that's where he targeted Eve for her downfall is he started questioning, saying, did God really say? And the moment you start questioning God and the moment you start listening to other people's voices, fear, mm-hmm. doubt, frustration, disappointment, lack of expectations, uh, that's where the battle is. And unfortunately, a lot of times we don't bring those to Christ and say, okay, here's what I'm thinking right now. Well, you know this as a freedom coach. Here's what I'm yeah. thinking, God. What do you think about this thought? Right. Yeah, you're right. That's so often what I coach is, you know, if you don't have the first aspect down, you don't have the spiritual, you don't know who you are in Christ, you don't know how he sees you. When attacks come into your mind, you don't know how to shift your thinking to agree with the mind of Christ um, and have the mind of Christ. So I do. I coach that a lot and say, God, show me how you see the situation. Um, What lie am I believing about myself or about you or about others? And, you know, what is your truth in that? So finding out the lie, letting him tell you, and then letting him tell you the truth um, is really the most effective tool that I have found to help shaping that, to have the mind of Christ. Um, and well, I and I, I never really thought of it as, you say, the intellectual piece of it, um, but now that you explain it, I've been friends with you for how long, and I never really understood this aspect of your book. <laughs> so. Well, what does what Satan do? He's the master of what he's the father of all lies. Yeah. He's, the, he's so good at deception that he can get—I've talked to some Christian people that they firmly believe their position on, you know, whatever it is, it, to be objectively outside of the situation, you can see it, and you can say, um, but you're not thinking right. You're not approaching this appropriately. You're not being objective. You're not—this is not what Christ would have you to do. But see, deception sometimes is so strong that they even—they mm. they believe that they're doing what is right. We think we're strong, but what is it, Galatians, it says, you know, he that thinks he's strong, take heed lest he fall. Right. Yeah. There's there's a humility there in saying, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight all the time, every day, every five minutes. God, are you approving of these thoughts, this doubt that I'm feeling, this lie that I'm listening to, this this self-image, self-worth that I'm questioning? God, what do you think about that? And that right. plays right into, you know, taking the thoughts to him, using your mind, uh, battles won and lost in the mind. 
So let's move on to the third aspect, emotional. So when two people need to be compatible emotionally, what is the best case scenario? How does that look if you're like, yes, you two are emotionally compatible? What does that look like? Well, just by way of distinction, first of all, we don't want to run off uh, any of the male listeners that we're talking, oh, here we go, talking about emotions. <laughs> now, it, it, it's a part of who we are. God is a very emotional God. He, he expresses a whole, you know, a broad range of emotions. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, so he's got a soft heart. And then Jesus expressed a whole healthy breadth of of emotions, of fear, anger, compassion, tenderness, charisma with kids, tenderheart. He cried at a funeral of a friend. So I would say up front, first of all, guys, don't be afraid of them. It's okay. Uh, if Jesus modeled the emotion, we're okay to model it too. You know, guys a lot of times grow up to, you know, just keep it inside, bottle it up, don't let me see you crying, suck it up, play through the pain, etc. Mm-hmm. But again, I go back to if Jesus is our model, look at his life and how he interacted with people. Sure, he got angry. He got frustrated. Uh, he, he was compassionate. He was tender. Yet he did all those emotions without sin. Um, so that's the first support for the emotional piece. And by way of distinction, the spirit is like the horizontal or, or the vertical window that we have. It gives us an awareness of God. The soul is like the horizontal. It makes us aware of our uh, of each other and aware of our, our relational need and the desire for companionship and how we interact with our surroundings. So that's just a comparison there or, or distinction good. between the spirit and the the soul. But emotions is that wonderful thing that if you're compatible with somebody. Uh, and this is where, yes, this is where the love comes in and the attraction and you feel, and some people struggle with their feelings. And I would say a, a really good test to do is, is the Love Languages by uh, uh, Gary Chapman. Uh, you, you need to find out what your love language is. It's all part of uh, your identity. From spiritual, take a spiritual gift test. Emotionally, take a personality test. Take a love language test. I encourage people, find out who the incredible person is that God made you to be, and once you start taking all these tests and you find out, okay, so this is my spiritual gift, this is my love language, this is my personality, and you read up about them and find out strengths and weaknesses, and you start getting a 3D picture of the incredible person that God created and said, wow, okay, so now I'm starting to see where I fit in. And then you start seeing, okay, so if this is who I am, now you're better positioned from a position of strength and, and affirmation and your self-worth and you feel good about who God created you to be, you're much better suited to interact and, and start assessing other people to see how compatible you are than you would be from a position of vulnerability and weakness. And if you have a self-image problem, well, then you're just setting yourself up to be manipulated by a smooth talker. So right. again, God's way, it's much smarter to, to mature yourself in each aspect to find out who God created you to be, you're in much better position to go into a relationship. So then when you're there, as you're assessing the behaviors or, or the, the characteristics or how somebody interacts, and, and I tell, I encourage people, I say, you don't need to date somebody to find out who they are. Like Karen and I, we didn't date for two years, but we observed each other, we assessed each other. The, the weaknesses, the, okay, when, when Nate gets impatient, you know, how's that going to be in a relationship? When somebody loses their temper, oh, how's that going to be? So observe 
how you react to situations and observe how somebody else reacts. Uh, and, And a key point is watching how a potential dating partner treats other people. Yeah. How a, a, a man treats his mom or a boy treats his mom or how a girl or a young lady or a woman treats her dad. You know, there's a lot to be said there and how they will be treating, you know, the behavior that they will exhibit in a relationship. How do they treat the waiter, the waitress, you know, the, the service sector? I mean, do they treat them compassionately and, and from a position of, of equality or do they talk down to them or, or, or be impatient with them or angry with them when they bring right. the wrong order? You know, All of those things, if, if you're paying attention. Right. You know, the emotional aspect you compare to the soul, which is the um, and the emotions that we feel. I often talk about soul wounds in some of the coaching mm-hmm. I do and, and healing those places that we've been wounded in. Um, well, I've heard pastors say your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Um but healing those places that you've been emotionally hurt. And I think there's also a lot of talk about emotional intelligence these days. Mm-hmm. And I think that's this aspect that you're talking about. Pay attention to how do they treat family or the waitress because that their outward behaviors are a manifestation of their inward thoughts and beliefs. And right. so um, that makes sense that the spiritual well, and intellectual comes first before – you know, making sure, well, not that it should come first, but that you're, as you're looking at the whole package, is someone, if they're emotionally stable and they don't fly off the handle and they know how to manage their own emotions and they're not blame shifting on you or they're not trying to manipulate you or control you, you may not see that in the beginning of the putting on your best foot forward. um, But if you watch how they interact with other people, um, you may get some insight into how they will treat you. And also, like you said, looking into yourself and saying, gosh, am I emotionally healthy in the way that I handle rejection or um, when I have a disappointing day at work or someone, you know, is frustrating. Um, And I think all those pieces, you know, because, man, that's going to happen in marriage, right? (laughs) Like It is. And see, here the verse that just came to mind is from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What's on the inside is going to come out. So if you give it enough time and you're around a person and observe them in a variety of settings, I mean, anybody can be good going to church. I mean, you know, if you sit in church with somebody, oh, wow, they praise and worship and they pray wonderfully okay, Uh, well, uh, you know, take them to a ball game, see how they react. Let them sit in rush hour traffic and see how they interact, you know, see how they handle conflict or confrontation. You know, if somebody runs them off the road or if somebody cuts them off in the grocery store or something, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, says a, a, a bitter stream doesn't give good water and, and vice versa. So, yeah. but you got to be paying attention and you can't be, and here's the caution, here's the red flag is sometimes people jump into an attachment and usually it's an unhealthy attachment because they have, they have those soul wounds like you talked about. They have a need for somebody to fill a hurt. Right. And so if somebody will come along and talk to your heart, what the heart wants to hear you'll immediately think, oh, it's love, it feels so good. Okay, but your worth and your affirmation and your feel-good is dependent on that other person and their feelings towards you. So what happens when they change their mind? Right. That's when you go to peace. So that's, you know, somebody said the Mm -hmm. other day, they said, well, you know, 
the heart wants what the heart wants. I said, yeah, Jeremiah tells me the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I don't know that you want to trust your heart. I think it's a good thing to feel things, but you want to pull it together and not let the emotional aspect get, again, just like any of the other four, uh, other, the other three. It can't be out there by itself yeah. leading the parade. They all have to be like, I give the analogy of four tires on a car. They all got to be headed in the same direction, the same maintenance, the same attention, the same pressure. I mean, you don't want a bumpy ride. So get all four matured and balanced, and now you start pulling from good, healthy information from all of them. So your soul wounds, you can find healing in the Scripture and from what God says and and who he says you are. I think the intellectual is a balance, an offset. you got the objective and the subjective. Yes, feelings are great, but then go to your mind and say, why am I feeling this? Do these feelings make sense? Mm. And that's, I think God created us with those as a balance to offset each other to where if you're feeling attached to somebody, then come back and say, okay, why am I feeling this? Is it because it's a good, healthy feeling? Am I attracted and drawn to this person? Or is it because I'm still hurting somewhere and I'm a, mm-hmm. uh, and it's an unhealthy emotional attachment? Right. Because often I've heard um, psychologists and counselors say that we're attracted to people based on the need that we have, that we think they can fill. But when we make sure that God is the one that fills all those hurt places, all those empty places, no person can ever fill that, which means they can never take it away either. And that's when you bring into a relationship your whole self, your best self. And I believe that's when you attract that as well. When someone sees that you have a need, those people that feel like people pleasers, they will jump in and be like, let me serve you. And then they feel taken advantage of as the relationship Uh goes on. And so when you enter into a relationship where... I don't need anything from you, but man, I really do enjoy it when I spend time with you. It's like, I don't need you to open the door of the restaurant, but man, I really do like it that you do that. I've oversimplified a big subject, but um, those are the types of things that I think are important. And I think you and I are passionate about helping people be healthy and whole as a single person so that we attract a healthy and whole person. And then together, we're stronger together. So, Nate, what would you tell your younger self about finding a mate if you had one piece of advice to tell your 20-year-old hormonal self? (laughs) Come here, boy. I want to smack you. (laughs) uh, In addition to everything is, first of all, wait. Wait. Don't get ahead of yourself. There's so many verses in the Bible, wait on the Lord. Wait. Just be where he has you to be. Don't get in a hurry. Don't lag behind him if he's leading you. But make sure he's leading and it's not, you know, your desires, your libido, or or your impatience or desperation or whatever. Yeah. Too many times we get ahead of ourselves and we jump into a relationship or we jump into a job that, that it's like, well, any job is better than being unemployed. I need money to pay my whatever. And then you get into an unfulfilled uh, role, and next thing you know, 10, 20 years have passed, and you're still unsatisfied as opposed to finding who you are and letting God take care of the details. If I'm talking to my younger self, you know, there's a lot of things calling your attention. 
there's a lot of impatience. You want to go out and set the world on fire and you think you know it all and, and I get it. But if you're going hiking, you might want to, first of all, take a map, which is the Bible, or you're going to get lost. You might want to take a seasoned guide who knows the trails, who's been there a time or two, and that's Jesus. And sometimes he gives us seasoned people around us, like parents, pastors, counselors, principals, teachers, somebody that is a little more seasoned than us that we can bounce off, you know, as we're going on our hike. And two, don't run on ahead because you might encounter a bear or fall off a cliff. (laughs) Just wait, trust God's sovereignty, find out who you are in all four. I wish I had the four aspects. Oh my gosh, I wish I had them when I was in high school because maybe I would have blazed a a different trail. Well, I think this conversation is really going to help a lot of people. I know your book um, is full of all this wisdom and even more. And so I want to encourage people to go get Matched for Life. I will leave a link to the book in the show notes. Now, I know Matched for Life also has a workbook. So um, people are, you know, they can do small group studies around it. So I encourage listeners to get that as well. We'll leave links for all of this and also Nate's website and social media in the show notes so that you can connect with him more. Um, So I'm grateful for your friendship, Nate, and all the ways that you serve singles out of just your vast amount of wisdom, a knowledge of God's word, but out of the close relationship and the walk that you have with God. It is such a blessing. You're an amazing speaker and writer. So thank you, Nate, for being on the show today. Well, you are so very, very kind, and likewise, Karen and I love you dearly, and we appreciate your friendship and all that you have, your heart for singles, and, you know, singlematters.com, got to get that in there. You know, it's a great resource for singles if you're listening to this and you want some place to get your fingers on some really cool stuff, it's a great resource there, um, as well as the the, the other links that, that Jill will post. But we certainly do value you and appreciate you, and... uh It's been a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You're welcome, my friend. Please tell Karen I said hello, send her my love, and I will talk to you guys soon. We will do it. Take care. Okay. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Jill Monaco Show. You can find out more from Nate when you go to jillmonaco.com slash episode 19. Just click on the show notes to find all the links that we mentioned today. And so you don't miss a future episode, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And when you subscribe and leave a review, it just really helps other people find it. So I so appreciate that. Now listen, if you've been encouraged by this series on singleness or even this episode with Nate, be sure to share it with your friends on social media. You can tag me at Jill Monaco and I will continue the conversation with you there. Well, thanks for tuning in today, my friends. And remember, love well, you were made for it.